0: Well, good morning, beloved. Uh, it's good to be with you again uh, this Lord's Day morning to worship Christ our King and to um, yeah, praise Him for all that He's worth and to be built up in our faith together as we serve Him. If you're visiting this morning, I, I want to send to you another warm word of welcome. Uh, we're glad that you have tuned in to, to worship with us and to hear God's Word with us. If you haven't already, drop us a note in the chat or drop us an email later. Let us know that you were here. Let us know how we can encourage you. It would be our delight uh, to do that. But right now, it's time for us to turn our attention to God's Word. We have been praising Him in song. We've been praying to Him and speaking to Him in prayer. Now it's time for us to to listen as He speaks to us from His Word. This morning, we're going to be concluding our series, Bless the Block. Uh, And to do that, we're going to go to a different text this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 to 14. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 14. We have been thinking in this series about how it is we can be God's exile people, living in a a land, in a world, living in a community that may not be our native community, and living there with a purpose, namely to see our neighborhood flourish in every way. That we want to seek the shalom of the city, the harmony, the peace, the well-being of our neighborhood. That we want to be agents in the neighborhood for uh, the flourishing and the formation of families. That we want to plant gardens and eat the produce. So we want to take control of the production of, of food needs. And, and we want to build houses and live in them in a similar way. We want to take control of the production of, of home ownership and housing. So that as an exile community, and so that the the community of our exile, that we would together flourish. Because our well-being, we will find it in the well-being of our neighborhood. So that's what we've been thinking about. And what I want us to do this morning is to turn our attention to uh, kind of organizing to thrive this way. We want to organize to thrive. So what kind of structure do we want to have in mind as we think about blessing the block? And as we think about moving out from something like a worship service uh, into the community to engage and serve and partner with the community in the ways that we have been thinking about. And I want to suggest to you that God has given us divine wisdom in his word that serves us and helps us to know how to organize to thrive. If you're taking notes this morning, the the main point of the sermon is actually a kind of summary of this text. And the main point is this. When the leaders equip and the saints uh, minister, the body of Christ matures. When the leaders equip and the saints minister, the body of Christ matures matures that's the argument I think of Ephesians 4 11 to 14 and if you're taking notes we're just going to break that apart into three points number one when it comes to being organized to thrive number one leaders equip leaders equip we're going to see that in verse 11 and verse first part of verse 12 number two saints minister saints minister that's what we see in verse 12 and number three when that happens, the body matures. The body matures, verses 13 and 14. So look with me uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And it gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's our text this morning. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, we pray that you would keep us from being children, spiritually. Keep us from being tossed about by false things. Instead, Lord, cause us to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Use your word and use your gifted persons to equip us and then move us out to do the work of the ministry. And in that process, Lord, build your church and bless the block, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So first thing we want to see here is that leaders equip. Leaders equip. Verse 11 lists four types of uh, leaders in the church. Uh, These are not uh, gifts, spiritual gifts as such. Uh, These are gifted persons. The emphasis is on the persons playing these roles. And the text begins by saying, and he gave. He there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And and what Jesus gives to his church in this text are leaders, leaders who lead and serve in a particular kind of way. Who are these leaders? Well, first of all, we have the apostles. The apostles are the sent ones. That's literally what the word means, sent one or messenger. In the early church, there were 12 original apostles. Uh, Then after Judas died, uh, the, the remaining 11 elected Matthias to take his place. Then in a different set of circumstances, the Apostle Paul comes along, and he too is a, a unique apostle in the early church. Now, the apostles, as, as people who were specially selected by Christ and, and who knew the Lord's earthly ministry, the apostles had kind of a universal authority over the local church to lead it, to teach it, and to guide it. Well, not only did the Lord give apostles, but notice secondly, they are prophets. Prophets are people who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speak forth the very words of God. Prophets were common in the early parts of the New Testament before the Bible was completed as God was revealing new things to his church about Jesus and his work and about what it meant to be his people. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, and look there with me, The church is, quote, the household of God built, notice, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So now these first two um, gifted persons or offices, um, the apostles and prophets, belong to the foundation of the church. Along with Jesus Christ, who is a part of the foundation, but a special part of the foundation. He is the cornerstone. He's the first block laid in the foundation against which all the other part of the foundation is made level and square. So Paul is using a building analogy here. And for any building, you only lay the cornerstone once. And you only lay the foundation once. Then you build everything else on top of it. So for this reason, there are not new apostles and prophets in the church today. Not not in this unique way with, with unique authority to govern and guide and to lay the foundation of the teaching for the church. That is passed away with the first era of apostles and prophets who were a part of the foundation. So just like we're not laying new cornerstones, we're not looking for another Christ. We're not laying new foundations. We're not looking for new apostles and prophets. We have their teaching in the word of God. Those are the first two. Now, those first two, as I said, are, are, are sort of passed away, if you will. Then we have two more. We have uh, number three, the evangelists. Evangelists are preachers of the gospel. They, they likely moved around from place to place, uh, preaching the good news to uh, crowds and cities. They, uh, many of them would have traveled with the apostles to, to do the work of evangelism, to make the good news known. You might, you might think of them uh, in modern day terms as, as street preachers. Or you might think of, of what um, Pastor Dennis and Abby and others do on Monday mornings with coffee and convo as basically doing the work of evangelism. That's what the evangelists would have done. And Paul names number four, uh, pastors and teachers. Now, there is some debate about whether these are two different positions or one. I take the view it's one because uh, in the Greek uh, language in which this was originally written, uh, these two words are controlled by one definite article, the pastors and teachers. So you might think of it as hyphenated, pastor-teachers. The main responsibility of, of pastor-teachers is to care for the sheep, that's pastors, literally shepherds, and to explain and apply God's word, teachers. So again, while apostles and prophets cease to exist, evangelists and pastor teachers continue. Pastor teachers would become the the main office in the New Testament church. uh, And uh, a little bit later, uh, the office of deacons would develop and and become prominent as well. But in this text, I, I think Paul focuses on these officers because they have something in common. Think about it, all these roles uh, have in common the fact that they they lead the church by speaking and teaching God's words. So so these are all speech gifts, if you will, or all speech offices, if you will. And according to verse 15, it's by speaking the truth in love that the body grows as God wants it to. Paul David Tripp, uh, in his book, War of Words, puts it this way, Our words are the principal tool God uses in the work he does through us. Never minimize the importance of words and speech, particularly in the context of teaching the church. It's it's God's main way of doing the work he wants to do in our lives. And that's what these leaders are called to do, to speak and to teach. Notice now, they have a particular goal in mind. They, They do the speaking and teaching, verse 12, Um, in order to equip the saints. So leaders of local churches have a primary objective of equipping the members of local churches, the saints, the Christians who belong to Christ. That's our job as pastors, to equip you as Christians. And this is the only place in the New Testament where the word equipped is used, but we, we know what it means. It means to prepare, to make someone ready for something. When you equip someone for something, you give them what they need in order to live a certain way or to perform a a certain task or duty. So you might equip someone with tools. You might equip someone with knowledge. Uh, You might equip someone with character. I think all of that is in view with the Christian ministry. We want, we want to give the saints everything they need for life and godliness, to use the language of the Bible. We want to give the saints everything they need in the way of character, in the way of ability, in the way of tools, so that we might be men and women of God as God wants us to be. From the earliest years in the New Testament church, the, the church has been careful to make sure that the leaders focus on the ministry of the word and prayer, so they might equip the church. They've been careful to, to keep this part of the pastor's job description clear because it's vital to everything else that uh, is meant to happen in the life of the church. I mean, if a church that, if a church allows its pastor to sort of uh, run around as pastors doing everything and um, serving everyone and, and leaving the ministry of the word, sooner or later they're going to find their pastors burnt out. And sooner or later, they're probably going to find themselves adrift from the mission that God has given. So, the leader's job, the pastor teacher's job, is to equip the saints by the teaching of the word of God. Now, notice how the body is organized. So, that's the leader's, but notice now the saints. Brings us to point two, beginning in verse 12. The saints minister. Broadly, that's their job description and i want to break that down into two parts so the first part is that the the saints are the first part on your job description uh, is implied really in this text and that's this that you are to receive the ministry of the word now the first thing that that as christians and members of the local church as members of arc that uh, you are to do in terms of your very basic job description is you are to receive the ministry of the word We can't be equipped if we don't receive the benefit of teaching from the Bible. What does it mean then to receive the ministry of the Word? I break that out into three things. Number one, receiving the Word means putting yourself in position to hear the Word. Putting yourself in position to hear the Word. You can't receive what you don't hear. And so to position ourselves to hear the Word, we should attend the Lord's Day service like we're doing right now. We should attend midweek Bible study. We should attend small groups and block groups. If we make commitment to meet up with people one-on-one for accountability or individual discipleship, we we should be present, we should be available, we should attend. This is by that attending that we position ourselves to receive. Here's the second thing. Receiving the word also means developing an expectancy. About the Word, developing an expectancy about the Word. See, it's possible to attend all the meetings of the church, to be there every time the door is open, but never expect to actually get anything from it. But we should come to God's Word with a kind of eagerness and excitement and anticipation that God is going to speak to us through the Word. We should come, Lord, uh, believing and expecting uh, what Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, that, that God sends forth his word and he causes the word to accomplish what he wills. It, it's going to water us like rain watering the soil and we are going to sprout up in bud and fruit and growth. We should come to the word with the kind of expectancy that Hebrews 11 uh, recommends. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, must believe that God exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's expectation. So we got to come to the word of God, believing God is really there, God is really speaking, and God will reward me for giving attention to him in faith. Receiving the word means developing an expectancy. But number three, receiving the word truly also means applying the word to our lives. So we've got to position ourselves to receive it. We've got to expect to receive. And then when we get, we've got to apply. So James chapter one, verse 23 says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I've gotten to the age where I don't even need a mirror for that. I leave my office, go into another room to get something, and by the time I get into the room, I, I stand there for a minute like, what did I come in here for? I didn't forgot, <laughs> right? Well, that, that happens spiritually too. Now, we can hear the word and and, and sit and be present, um, but then we turn away from the word and. And we've forgotten what God has shown us of himself and shown us of ourselves. We don't want to be that guy. Instead, we want to be the, the kind of people described in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says there, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, that's application, to distinguish good from evil. So we want to apply the word to our thinking, apply the word to our feelings, apply the word to our actions. Uh, We want to make all of that application so that we are trained by the scriptures. And when we're trained by the scriptures, we will be receiving it and receiving it more and more. So the first part of the saint's job description is to receive the ministry of the word as is taught by the leaders of the church and the teachers of the church so that we are We'll see in a moment, equipped for every good work. Now, notice the second part of the saints' job description. The saints are to do the work of the ministry. So the leaders equip, and then there's this next prepositional praise, for the work of the ministry. The word ministry means uh, basically service or appointment or assignment. Ministry here is general. It includes almost anything that builds up the body of Christ or advances the mission of the church in the world. The word comes from the same Greek word, uh, diakonoi, uh, that, that gives us our word deacon. So the entire church here, all the saints, are viewed as a kind of diaconate, as a kind of deacon ministry for the, for the work of the ministry. Have you ever heard the phrases every every member ministry or the priesthood of all believers? It comes from texts like this, where it's clear that all of God's people are meant to be people who serve, who are servants doing the work of the ministry as God gives us instruction. So if you're thinking about joining ARC or you're looking for a church home uh, or you're already a member of a church, one fundamental belief you should have is that if you are a Christian, Uh, you should be a member of the local church who who finds a way to serve to do to do the work of the ministry to fulfill an assignment in service to others each and every one of us are to do that to do the work of the ministry that's that's the heart of the saint's job description here in ephesians chapter 4 well how do we apply that well Number one, the call for the saints to do the work of the ministry is why we're asking every member to join a PSA team, right? In those teams, we're trusting God to help us find our assignments. Now, we may have various assignments growing out of those teams, and that makes sense because we are, we are also individuals, right? We have differing gifts, differing interests, and, and things of that sort. But the idea here is we're trying to create some organization uh, that that sort of gets us all engaged in doing the work of the ministry. So uh, join a PSA team. Plug in. uh, Find a way to contribute and serve in the ministry. Number two, in terms of application. Notice here, it is not the leader's job to do the work of the ministry. It is the saint's job to do the work of the ministry. Every Christian and the church collectively uh, is is called to, to take the equipping that comes from the leaders, that comes through the teaching of God's word, and to take that equipping and then to go out and to do the work that God has called us to do as a people. You see, the word of God has not had its equipping effect until the saints do the work of God in response. The word of God has not equipped us until we do the work of God that we're equipped to do. One of the most common questions I get uh, in the Q and A's on Sunday afternoon uh, in response to the sermon uh, begins like this. What does it look like to, or or maybe it begins with, how are we going to fill in the blank? And you've probably noticed that my my most common answer is, I don't know, (laughs) I I don't know. And here's the thing, in fact, I don't have to know. That's not my work. My work is to teach you God's Word. It's actually part of your work to figure out what we're going to do, what work of the ministry God seems to be equipping us and preparing us to carry out. So it's not the pastor's job to, to come to the PSA teams and, and, and give you all the answers and, and, and sort of give you all the ideas. But, but that's the member's job. That's a, a member function. What we have to know how to do is equip you. And then you have to take that equipping and turn it into the work of the ministry. And in fact, I believe that that you all have the answers. I believe that in the body, the wider body is far more... Uh, intelligence and giftedness and wisdom far more experience and professional preparation way more in the way of networks and relationships much more of that exists in the body than it does in the leadership we are five men but you are 185 right and and in that in that mass of talent and in that mass of wisdom and experience and relationships are the answers we need in these PSA teams to do the work of the ministry as God has called us to. And I'm really glad that God has designed the church that way because there are no no people on the bench in the church and no folks who are bumps on a log in the church. And it means that much more can get done in service to Christ and the community this way than if it all depended upon the pastors. If it all depended upon the pastors, ministry gets clogged up, jammed up, and, and doesn't flow forward. But if we sort of organize ourselves in such a way that the saints do the work of the ministry, a thousand flowers bloom. I mean, think about it. When we think about this congregation, there's some of you who have lived in a, in a neighborhood, you've been residents for all your life or for several decades. You know the neighborhood in ways that many other brothers and sisters don't. We need you. And, and there are some of you who are moms and dads, aunts and uncles with, with relationships in the neighborhood and with relationship skills that give you a credibility with people in a way that newcomers to the neighborhood don't have. We, we need you for the work of the ministry. And there's some of you who are community advocates. You've been working in nonprofit organizations or government agencies. You've been doing that for a minute. And so you know who the players are uh, in the community in a way that, uh, again, some other brothers and sisters may not. And so we, we need you as community advocates plugged into this work, helping us to partner. And, and there's some of you who are skilled workers in the congregation. I mean, some of you have literally built wings onto your house or could build a house from the ground. that That's skilled labor. That's vital for what we're trying to do in terms of providing for our own needs and providing for the needs of the community. And then there are others of you who are professionals of various sorts. There. Are Doctors and lawyers and teachers and social workers and in your professional calling, in your vocation, God has been equipping you for the work of the ministry. And so we have these conversations about what do we do about education or what do we do about health care? Um, you've got some natural um, professional training and wisdom and talent and interest that, that is essential to what we are trying to do. So I want you to understand that you are needed in this process. You are vital in this process. And that's by God's design. The work of the ministry is meant to be done by the saints. Let me give you another application from this then. The phrase says, do the work of ministry. It doesn't simply say sign up for ministry. That's your first step. Sign up, join a PSA team. but, But that ain't doing the work. It doesn't say talk about what ministry ought to happen. Right. So this isn't this isn't sort of giving anyone liberty to be Monday morning quarterbacks or professional critics. Right. It says do the work of the ministry. Get involved. It's a it's a command. Now we have freedom about what assignments we might choose and what issues we might work on and what what sort of skills we might bring to bear. But the fact that we are to in fact do something is a command. It's clear. We're commanded to good works. We're free to choose our assignments, but we're not free to decide whether or not we will serve God in this way. He, he owns us, and our Lord has called us to this. So we need to be about the work. We need to play our part. We need to make our contribution. And listen, beloved, every part of the body of Christ matters. That's the argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. You matter. There are no insignificant parts of the body. You contribute to the whole and the whole flourishes through your contribution and you flourish as the whole responds to you in grace as well. So we need every player on the court. We need every person contributing to do the work God has for us. We need all the people that God sends to us. So there's a place for you to play a part as God has designed it. Now, if you're thinking about joining ARC or joining any church, really, I want to encourage you right from the break, be ready to do the work of the ministry. Now, in our own practice here as a church, as, as new members come in, like the, the five new members that we welcome this morning, um, we, we sort of say, hey, take the first six months of your, your, your ministry here, your membership in the church, and make your main ministry just getting to know as many people as you can. Build the relationships first, and uh, once you kind of get settled in six in those six months, getting to know us as a church and getting to understand more about our DNA as a church, then we, we expect you to sort of find ways to, to do the work of the ministry uh, beyond that. And we'll see why the relationships are important in just a moment. This series has been about organizing us for that work. So if you take a look at the chart uh, on your screen, the organizational chart on your screen, you'll notice that... We have pastors whose job it is to teach and to generally oversee. That's me and Pastor Tim and Pastor Tunde, uh, Pastor George, Pastor Dennis. Then you'll see that we have uh, five PSA teams at the bottom, sort of aligned with the five issue areas that we saw in Jeremiah 29, verses 49. And each of those teams, we, we pray and hope, are, you know, are working to sort of organize to have two or three co-leaders for that area, for each area. And they will form a kind of steering committee to make sure that the teams um, uh, coordinate between one another, share information, things of that sort. And then we we, we may need to create uh, two or three deacon level roles uh, to help, again, sort of chair and coordinate and uh, to ride herd on the, the work of the ministry there. This will allow us to all focus on the jobs that God has given us in His Word. Pastors equipping through teaching, and saints doing the work of the ministry. So we want to be equipped and we want to be working. We want to be serving as God has called us to. Which brings us to our third point. So leaders equip, saints minister, the body matures. That's what we see in verses thirteen or the end of verse twelve uh, down to verse fourteen. This is the, the sort of outcome of all of that equipping and serving. So so the saints are to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This really is a description of the the Lord's plan, God's plan for how he matures his children. When the leaders equip and the saints minister, the body matures. The body of Christ, the church, matures. Notice there how how the text begins to describe maturity or uh, this process. Uh, equipping the saints and doing the work leads to, notice, building up the body of Christ. Every local church is a gym for, for bodybuilders. We, we come here to lift weights and to do aerobic exercise, except our lifting is not of dumbbells. Our, our lifting is the service that we do uh, to each other and with each other and to the community. And our aerobic exercise is not a treadmill, praise God. It's it's how we walk with each other through life circumstances. So as we serve, the body of Christ is gaining muscle mass. It's being built up or edified. It's being strengthened. Now, what does that building up entail? What does that uh, edification look like? It looks like two things, according to the rest of the text. It looks like maturity and unity. It looks like unity and maturity. Let's see unity there first. We have to build the body until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So we keep teaching and the saints keep serving until every member of Jesus' body, notice now, in this local church, reaches a common understanding of the faith and reaches a common knowledge a relational knowledge of the lord jesus christ the son of god how do we get that kind of unity well the first step is we have to believe the gospel right you can't you can't sort of grow in a unity of the faith and the knowledge of jesus christ if in fact you're not in the faith and you don't know jesus so the first step is to to believe the gospel to understand and to trust What God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his son. What has he done for us? What has God done for us through Jesus Christ, his son? Well, here's here's what the gospel teaches us. That God first made us in his image and his likeness. That means we were made, uh, number one, with incredible dignity and value. And we were made, number two, to, to reflect God's character, to reflect God's ways in the world. And we were made, number three, to know God himself. We are the only creatures in all of the universe with the capacities to be related to God, to enjoy God, and to be enjoyed by God. That's how we were made. That's where the, the gospel begins. But something the Bible tells us terrible happened. Instead of living out uh, the image and likeness of God, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, decided they wanted to do things their own way. God told them not to do something. They decided that they would do it. And in doing what God told them not to do, they sinned. And sin entered the world and everything was broken. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with other people was broken. Even our relationship with ourselves was broken because of sin. Sin corrupts everything. Sin defiles everything. Sins take people who were meant to be holy and meant to be sort of entirely devoted to God. And it it makes people unholy and unrighteous and devoted to themselves in selfishness. Sin makes us turn in on ourselves. And it destroys us. And it angers God. And so God kicked our first parents out of his presence. And, and and we have been separated from God ever since. But God does something else, the gospel tells us. We have, we have ruined ourselves by sin, but God has reclaimed us to make us new and to make us his own again. And the way God does that is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, takes upon himself uh, our physical frame, our humanity. And he lives as a fully God and fully man on earth for a little over 30 years. And in that 30 years, he did two things to bring us back to God. Number one, he obeyed God perfectly all the time. Jesus was without sin. That's how it is that he becomes our righteousness. And number two, not only did he live a perfect life, but number two, he died on the cross In our place, we were meant to be judged by God. We were meant to suffer God's just anger and wrath, but instead, Jesus stepped in. Jesus took our place. Jesus bore the penalty for our sin. And so all the anger of God against sinners was poured out on his son. So Christ was judged in our place He was crucified He was buried in the grave for three days And on the third day God raised him from the grave He raised him from the grave to show That he had defeated death He had defeated the grave He had defeated sin He had satisfied God's judgment He raised him from the grave So that we too could live with God forever That's the good news God so loved us that He gave His Son to rescue us from His judgment, to make us brand new creatures, and to bring us back to Him so that we could live with Him and so that we could reflect His glory as we were made to. Now, that's the good news, and you've got to respond to it. So God calls all of us now to repent of our sins and to put our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, as the one who rescues us from sin, as the one who is our God and our Lord, as the one we follow through faith. this morning, you can do that right now. You can confess your sins to God. You can admit that you're a sinner. You can admit that you have gone your own way, done your own things, have sometimes disobeyed him, and that you deserve his judgment. Admit that, that God already knows that. But admitting that changes your heart, changes your mind. And then put your trust and confidence in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he is the savior who died on the cross for you, for you personally, that he is resurrected and that he is alive and ruling and that he is your ruler, your Lord. And follow him in faith, believing the promise that all of your sins are forgiven, that you are a new creature, that you belong to God, body and soul, and begin to live for Jesus in that way. If you make that commitment this morning, uh, let us hear from you. We would love to encourage you and, and answer any questions that you have. Or if you have questions and, and you want to know more, contact us. Let us tell you more. we like nothing more than to help you understand this gospel. Because it's by this gospel, it's by this message of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ that you are brought back to God, that you enter into the faith, that you enter into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, And you so take the first step with us in in growing in unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. But it doesn't stop there. We've got to go on. Once we believe the gospel and become part of the church, then our unity is further developed and further defined by our doctrine. Notice there's unity in the faith. Faith there refers to our beliefs in this context. And not just our doctrine, but it is a unity in our walk, in our relationship with Jesus. So, so there is this reference to our knowledge of the Son of God. That's not just a head knowledge. That's an experiential personal knowledge. So we are meant to grow together in unity in both belief and behavior. and We are to walk together as the people of God. Knowing the truth theologically about God and experiencing the truth uh, in our relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. It's this kind of knowing of Jesus that helps us to be one as his family. It's this kind of unity that God desires for his church. And this is why unity is why we have new members review and agree to our statement of faith. Uh, The Statement of Faith is a document that we use to to build up the body of Christ and to promote a common knowledge, a common knowledge of Christ and a common knowledge of the faith. And and unity is why in membership interviews, we ask everyone who wishes to be a member of ARC to tell us their testimony of how they came to know Jesus. If a person doesn't know Jesus and doesn't walk with Jesus, how can he know us and walk with us? And unity is why building friendships to encourage one another is so important. Look again at verse 13. It says, Until we all, we all, that means we must grow together in faith and knowledge of Jesus. This is a family affair. This is a team sport. So let me ask you a question. When will you relinquish your passive approach to friendships? When will you take a higher level, take another step in deliberateness and intentionality in cultivating uh, deep and wide friendships for mutual encouragement and unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God? I know that building relationships can be hard, but it's worth it. So we need to lean in into this. We can't be unified by ourselves. No one can reach unity unless everyone does together. So we must first be unified with Jesus, and then we must be unified with each other. That's God's vision for maturity in a local church, or or excuse me, for unity in a local church. But he also has a vision for our maturity. Notice there, God's plan for the church is that we all together reach maturity as we equip and as we serve. Here's the formula. Equipping, equipping plus serving equals maturity. Now, Ephesians 4.13 defines maturity in two ways. It defines it positively and negatively. On the one hand, positively, maturity is mature manhood or adulthood. This is spiritual adulthood because it's defined by, notice, the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, it's a complex phrase. There, in other words, Christian maturity is reaching the fullness of Jesus together as a church. That's the positive definition. The illustration here, it's like buying. If you've ever had to buy um, clothing and shoes for children, uh, my mom used to take me to uh, back-to-school shopping. For example, uh, she'd take me and buy clothes and. For a long time she'd always buy my clothes And my shoes one or two sizes too big I used to hate to get new clothes Because they'd be hanging all off of me I'd have to put like an 8 inch cuff in my pants And my mom always said the same thing You know basically boy you'll grow into them (laughs) You know get them big and grow into them And that was just wisdom for her Because she had no money to be buying clothes every season For a boy who was still growing So she said boy you'll grow into them Well, it's a lot like that with Jesus. He's much bigger than we are. And the Bible says we are to be clothed. We are to clothe ourselves with Christ. Well, we we put him on and he's much bigger, but together we begin to grow up into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. We begin to sort of fill out into Christ and Christ who was too big and so much more than us increasingly, slowly, you know, begins to fit us. More and more comfortably. That's the positive definition of maturity. But, but Paul gives us here a, a negative definition of it as well. He, he flips it the other way in verse 14. Where he writes, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But we talked last week about false teaching. Uh, so we don't have to labor on that here. But notice that maturity means that we're not children. We're not infants in our thinking. We're not infants in our understanding and our living. Children are very gullible as young people. Little children will believe almost anything that you tell them if you tell them convincingly enough. And so they can be tossed around to and fro by the things that they hear, the stories that we tell them, the jokes that we play on them. And immature Christians Christians are the same way. They're tossed around by every wind of doctrine, the Bible says here. So every time there's a, a new popular Bible teaching or a new popular Bible teacher, they are, they are swayed. So this, the wind's blowing this way on one day, so they get caught up in this teaching. Then the wind blows in the opposite direction and they get swept up in that way. Immature Christians are like boats without, without sails and rudders. You know, whatever the waves do. Whichever way the winds blow, that's, they're at the mercy of those things, and that's where they're carried off. We're not supposed to be like that. When together we grow in the fullness of Christ, we'll be anchored in the winds and the waves and the storms. Uh, let, let the winds blow, let the waters roll. The, the more mature Christian and the mature tr- Christian church will be held down by Jesus, be held down by Christ. So God's plan to mature the church is to give leaders who quit by teaching the word of God and to send saints to do the work of the ministry. As long as there is teaching and serving going on, we should be seeing some maturing. And here maturing is just another word for flourishing. It's another word for um yeah, being being fulfilled and, and sort of manifesting in our lives as a church community the, the graces and the blessings that God intends for his people. And that's meant to overflow our church into the community. We are going to be blessed in order to be a blessing. Now, what I really want you to take away from this third point is this. Remove either the teaching or the serving and we will be as immature as children. Remove either the teaching that equips us or the serving that is the work of the ministry and we will make ourselves uh, infants. We will stunt our growth. We will be immature as God's people. Now I stress this because in our part of the Christian world and our, if you will, tribe, uh, the parts that, that is missing in the formula is not teaching. There's heavy emphasis on teaching. The part that's missing in the formula is the work of the ministry, is, is serving. See, the, the immaturity of the church comes from the inactivity of the saints. We've turned the church into a lecture hall instead of a serving station. We need the lecture hall, but we, we need it attached to the serving station if we're going to mature as God designs. So let's bring this to a close here's a possibility i want to ask you to think about as we conclude is the ps18 and the doing of the work of the ministry is that the way god intends to mature you to grow you in christ and to grow us as a church in christ in other words do you believe that this is this is a strategy for your your spiritual fulfillment to be exiles who bless the block to be a church that drinks in god's word and then does god's work is is that is that in your conception of what it means to flourish of what it means to to grow in Christ's like Christ likeness and and in your conception of maturity do you have a prominent emphasis on togetherness on unity on our locking arms, to be the people God has called us to be and to do the work that God has called us to do. I believe God means to mature ARC in the embracing or through the embracing of these roles, of of leaders who equip, of saints who do the work of the ministry. And I believe the result of that will be the flourishing of our church, and the blessing of our block. So join a PSA team for your and our maturity. Do it to bless others. Do it to bless yourself. Do it to magnify the the glory of Christ. You should have received an email with a link uh, where you can go and sign up for a team and let us know if you're interested perhaps to be a, a co-leader on the team. Uh, please take a moment to do that, let us know. We're going to be in the next couple of weeks uh, continuing some organizing work and then and in a in the couple of weeks after that, we hope to begin to sort of meet and pray and lay out uh, a plan for study and a plan for action. I'm excited, I hope you're excited. I think God has good things in store for us good things in store for our community. I, I want to I remind you of something that uh, I learned from Jonathan Brooks in his, his book, Church Forsaken, uh, which in some ways inspired the series and, and I, I got so much out of. He makes the point in that book that, um, you know, sometimes we come to these things thinking that we are going to transform the community. And what we discover is actually our attempting to serve the community is how God is going to transform us. I believe that too. I believe I need that transforming. I believe we need that transforming. And I'm excited to see God do it. And I hope you are as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do, we pray. Equip us by your word. And by your spirit, give us strength to do the work of the ministry. And in that process, Lord, help us to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as Christ, O Lord, is is filled more and more in us, or we fill him more and more, we pray, uh, make us a, a, a great blessing to the block. Do this for your glory, for our joy, and the praise of the people of Southeast. In Jesus' name.